please turn with me to one of the most enjoyable places in Scripture I've ever been a part of, and that's in First Peter, the second chapter. Now, you've been with us for if you've if you've been with us for any length of time, you understand what Peter is doing. Peter is writing this letter to a group of people who've been scattered from their homes. He has called them, in verse 1, aliens. He said, because this is not your home. Paul writes that this, our citizenship, Paul writes, is in heaven, not here. And so that's what, that's what Peter has taught. And he says that you are going to go through difficulties. Don't want you to. It's, it's sad when you do, but for the, for the most part, every single one of us are going to go through some times that will be difficult in our lives, some trials that we will have to go through. And, and how we go through it is Peter's concern. And so Peter, if you remember last week, if not, listen in. Look at uh, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2. And, and just you'll, you'll see what, what Peter promised us as believers in Christ, how blessed we are. He says in verses 9 and 10, we are a chosen race. He says that we are a royal priesthood. That means we are a people who live to serve and to reign with God. Priesthood. We are, he says, a holy nation. And the word nation there really translates to mean a holy people. Meaning we are a people who are holy or set apart unto the Lord. Because then, Peter says, we are a people, and this one blows me away. Of all of them, this is my faith. We are a people for God's own possession. Think about that for a while. Just, just eat on these words once in a while that, that, that we, we read in Scripture, but do we take them in? And, and what does that really mean to me? We are a people for God's own possession. He said in verse 10, once... We were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once, he said, we, we had not received mercy, but now we've received mercy. Well, when you look at that and you take that in, what does that mean? Uh, why so many blessings poured out upon us as a, a group of people who have trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior? Why the blessings? What do we have to do? Well, Peter says, here's your part, so that you, verse 9, look at it, so that you would proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That is a, a responsibility, if you would, that all of us have, to proclaim the excellencies of our Savior who has taken us out of darkness and brought us into light. Now, next few verses. Verses 11 through 16. Peter realizing that if we go out and proclaim the excellencies of Christ, we are going to receive more persecution. It's going to come our way. And so Peter wants to tell you and me how do we behave in the midst of trials when people persecute us for our faith? 
I absolutely adore studying the Bible like this because it starts to fall into place. And by now, which is true in every book I've ever studied, it has its own life. By that I mean now I just hold on and preach what's coming next because it has a very certain pattern. And Peter has just built a wonderful case of why you and I are to proclaim the excellencies of our Lord who has called you and me out of darkness into light. Now, if you're here this morning and you've not come to know Christ yet, we want to offer Him to you. Not that we have anything special. He is, he is there waiting for you with open arms. And He wants to, for you to be a part of His forever family. And what we would like to do as a group of people is to show you how wonderful our Lord is so that the transition you would make from, from a non-believer to a believer would be somewhat, not easy, but would be, would be easier. <laughs> How's that for using a better word? Not easy, easier. Okay. Well, I want you to read with me verses 11 through 16. And I want you to see what Peter is saying. It's, it's magnificent. Honestly, it is, folks. It is absolutely magnificent, these words. He first off begins by saying in verse 11, Beloved. Beloved. I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. He says in verse 12, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as an evildoer, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. Verse 13, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors uh, sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Therefore, he says in verse 16, act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Now really, that's the message. It's, it's, it's really plain right there before us. Live this way as people observe the way you live. Live it in such a fashion that you might glorify God through the way you live. In other words, proclaim the excellencies of Him who has taken you out of darkness into light. And don't let your freedom... You see, you and I as believers in Christ are the most free people on the face of this earth. We have a freedom that goes beyond anything else anyone could ever imagine. But he says, put aside your freedom. Don't use it, as he says in verse 16, as a covering for evil. But rather, put aside your freedom and become a bond servant of God. Serve Him. That's Peter's point. Let's preach it. Let This is... This is good stuff. Let me pray with you and, and let's, let's just enjoy this. Man, do you guys hope it rains? I do too. It just looks so beautiful when it looks like this to me. 
I mean, I, I enjoy our, our weather here in Southern California, I guess, as much as the next person. But there's just something about overcast days that are just kind of pretty to me. Anyways, does that have anything to do with the message? No. Does that have everything to do with your old age? Yes. My mind just wanders. Father, we want to thank you for this wonderful, wonderful privilege. We gather together in the name of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we gather together in his name, Father, so that we might understand and learn more about him and therefore understanding more about you. And we ask that God, that the Holy Spirit, would guide us, lead us, teach us, do everything that, Father, you have called him to do within our lives. Would you, Father, as you've written down in the book of Psalms, 119th chapter, would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law? Let us understand what you want to say to us today. Let no, none of us feel coerced. Let none of us feel forced or pushed into doing something we don't want to do. But, Father, let us see how much you desire for us to serve you in whatever fashion that might be. And so move me aside so that this would be something that we would understand, that it wouldn't come from my heart, but really come from yours through me to the people here at this church. Let it, let, let it happen in that fashion, Father. And I, I beg of you that, uh, that we would all see you, not any person. So Lord, bless us. Thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. I'm going to say to you before I even begin this thing how much I love you guys. And I am overwhelmed with it. I guess Thanksgiving and this time of the year, I, I am a sucker. I am a sucker for Christmas trees that are lit. I, I know maybe it's not biblical. I don't care. I love Christmas trees. I, I, my, my father used to always go out, and we lived in Michigan, and it would be cold, and he'd go out and get a tree for us at home, and we'd always... He'd always get home. It was predictable. When he'd come home, my mom's name was Ann. His name was John. She said, John, yes, Ann, why such a big tree? Because I want it to be big, Ann. I want it big for the kids. And so we used to always decorate it and, and uh, have a, a great time as a family doing that. So whoever did this, thank you. I, I find it very lovely. Let's get to the message. <clears throat> you know what's sad about but goes on in your life and my life, I'll tell you something that's sad. Most non-believers, if not all, build their ideas on what we do here at this church, what we believe in Christ, what we call as a faith of Christianity, not on Jesus Christ, but they build it normally on us. What they see us do, how they see us behave. Your neighbor, your fellow workers, your friends, your family... They're going to read your behavior far more than they'll ever read a Bible. And so what they see in you and in me, they will then judge our Savior through our actions and reactions. That's sometimes sad. I know, I know this is important because... On the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest message ever given, Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, He says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may, watch, 
see your good works. Therefore, he says, they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so this isn't my principle. This isn't even the principle of Peter. It's the principle of our Lord that you and I are to let our light shine before mankind so that they might glorify God as they watch you and me live for Christ. That's a big responsibility. I understand that. So do you. I remember once we were driving to church when I first started over at Yorba Linda Friends Church and, and, and we were driving up uh, Imperial, going up to, uh, towards uh, Yorba Linda Boulevard. And, uh, and I was in a hurry and the kids were in the back seat. They were really young at the time. We strapped them in and, and, and Kay was sitting alongside of me and this car in front of me was driving so slow. Not really. I wanted to go fast. They were probably driving the speed limit. So I wanted to get around them. And I got around them finally, and I kind of looked at them. And my, one of the kids said in the back, what if they go to our church, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> to which I slowed down and went, <laughs> you never know. You never know. But, you know, your behavior sometimes belies who you are. And we, we have to understand that. Let our light shine before people so that they may glorify God who is in heaven. Well, living like this is the very essence of what Peter is writing here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. To live godly lives, to watch our behavior. I believe it is the single most important or effective tool that you and I have, our actions, reactions, and behaviors in making the gospel attractive or believable to those who have rejected Jesus Christ. Now, how do you do that? Well, let's read again verses 12 through 15 of this place in Scripture. You do it by keeping your behavior excellent, verse 12 says. Among the Gentiles. Gentiles does not mean, you know, Jew and Gentiles. In this case, when it says the Gentiles, it's talking about non-believers, those who have not trusted yet in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the Gentiles, non-believers. So keep your behavior excellent among the non-believers so that in the thing in which they slander you as an evildoer, they may, now watch, here's what Peter says, because of your good deeds as they observe them. They're watching us. They're watching us. One of my favorite things to do when I was in ministry out in the streets, when I was doing things with the Dodgers, for instance, or with the Angels, or with the Rams, when I came into a hotel or I went into the ballpark, I let all the people that worked there know I was a believer. Somehow, some way, I would let them know that I've trusted in Jesus Christ because I wanted them to examine me. I wanted to, number one, it was for my good. It kept me on guard, but it also gave them an opportunity to see what, what, is, what is acceptable behavior? And so when I was donated by uh, the Lachman Foundation Bibles for every one of the ballplayers at Christmas time, I asked the Lachman Foundation, can I have about 25 more? Because I want to give them to the workers as well. So when I went in the front gate, I gave a Bible to the guy that worked in the front gate. When I went in through the doors, I gave a Bible to the guy at the door. Not I, the Lachman Foundation did. And we gave Bibles to everybody. But I didn't want to give Bibles just to the elite. I wanted to give Bibles to everybody because I wanted everybody that I came in contact with to have an opportunity to understand and know about Christ. Let your behavior be seen 
as they observe you, they might glorify God. So, Peter says in verse 13, Submit yourselves. For your sake, no. For the Lord's sake. Submit yourself for the sake of the Lord to every human institution, whether it's to a king or as one who is in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, but on the other hand, for the praise of those who do right. Verse 15, Peter writes, This is the will of God. And, and any time you read that, that should really get your attention. We'll have to do a study on that one time. There are six places, I think, that it says such is the will of God in the, in the New Testament. No, New and Old. The will of God, the will of God, the will of God. But here is one of them. Verse 15 of Second Peter chapter 2. Such is the will of God, that by doing what is right, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. You know who foolish men are? Well, the Bible says, and, and I think it's in Proverbs, but it might be in Psalms. It says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so by your behavior, my behavior, by our behavior in front of other people, we might silence the ignorance of those who says there's no God. That's our purpose in living. One of them. One of them, Peter says. So, first of all, we know in verse 11 that Peter is talking to believers. The reason we know this, he begins by calling us beloved. That's a beautiful term. It implies that we are objects of God's immeasurable love. Peter wasn't talking that he, they're beloved because of him. They are beloved because of God. They are God's beloved. They are a people for God's own possession. Remember? So they are beloved. Therefore, Peter is going to urge those of us as believers to... As he says in verse 11, the end of it, urging you as an alien and a stranger to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. He called them, in verse 1, chapter 1, aliens. Here again, he makes mention, this is not your home, he's saying. You are aliens and strangers. He is reminding them, and you and me, that that we are not a member of this world's society. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.20, as I said to you earlier, our citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven, which we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But while you and I are waiting for our true home, which is in heaven, we are spiritual aliens. We are believers who are here on this earth and Paul, Peter says, we must abstain from fleshly lusts of this world. Well, John, you know what I love about this study? I love about this study is that cross-referencing it. Like, here's Peter saying, I want, you not to, I want you to abstain from fleshly lusts of this world, basically he's saying. Well, John, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17, says the very same thing, but a little more in depth. John writes this, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world, he says. If anyone loves the world, he says, the love of the Father is not in them. Verse 16, For all that is in the world, mentions three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not, he says, from the Father, but is from the world. In other words, Satan, sin, evil. Then he goes on to say, the world is passing away, but also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God 
lives forever. Our living forever begins in a place that the Father and the Son is preparing for us right now as we speak with one another, as we sit here at least. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that some died in faith. They did not receive the promise. In other words, the Old Testament people were looking forward to the promises of the Messiah. They died in faith looking forward to Him. But having seen them, they they welcomed them from a distance and and having confessed that they were, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, strangers and exiles. In other words, they were strangers, exiles, aliens on this earth. Amen. Because Paul says it. Peter says it. Now the writer of Hebrews says the same thing. He goes on to say this in verse 14, For those who say such things make it clear they are seeking a country of their own. Where is it? Indeed, he says in verse 15, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had the opportunity to return. In other words, if this country they were thinking of that was going to be their blessings was here on earth where they left, they could go back to it. But he says that's not it. He says in verse 16, as it is, they desire a better country. That is, it says, a heavenly one. Man, I love that. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. Jesus puts it this way. Our Lord says, Since I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself. That where I am, Jesus says, you're going to be there as well. You will be there also. We have a place that's being prepared for us right now in heaven. This is not our home. But what Peter is trying to relay to you and me is that we need to affect the people that we come in contact with while we are here on this earth. And so since we are not a part of this world, we must therefore, verse 11, abstain from fleshly lusts. How? You should be asking that question. It's not there. It doesn't exactly tell you how. Just abstain from it. Okay, good. How? Well, this is another reason why I love to study the Bible. You can cross-reference. Since, since Peter is not telling us how, someone had to tell us how. Paul did. Paul, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, he says, I tell you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. In other words, you will abstain from fleshly lusts. Walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? It means to understand and get to know this. How do I know that? Well, the writer in Psalms 119 says, Thy word I have treasured in my heart so that I may not do something. What? Do you know what it is next? Oh, good. Excellent, you guys. Thy word I have treasured in my heart so that I might not sin against you. This is walking by the Spirit. Getting to understand the Word of God in such a fashion that it, it, it starts to incorporate your thinking so that when you desire to do something that you know you shouldn't do, you walk by the Spirit of God, not by flesh, and you'll not carry out the desires of your flesh. Listen, he says in the next verse, verse 17, the flesh will set its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit will set its desire against the flesh. In other words, God and Satan, or God and sin, are in opposition. That's what it says. They are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. 
I want you to know something. You're not alone when you feel like I can't. I mess up. I listen to a message and I know what I'm supposed to do and then I leave here and oh my gosh, I, I, I fall short. Don't let Satan beat you up with that. We all fall short. We all do that. Not just you, not just a few of you, but all of us do. In fact, the, the wonderful Paul did. I'm going to show you in a moment. There's an ongoing battle within your life and my life between the Spirit, meaning God, and between our old flesh, meaning sin. But nevertheless, as believers, sin has not a master over us anymore. We are free from its power. I I feel obliged to say this to those of you that are investigating Christianity. As a non-believer, you have no choice but to sin. Now, I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm not saying that in any fashion other than it's scriptural. And Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3. Listen, please, because he's talking about those of us who have made a transition from death into life, darkness into light. And he says, you were, Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. In which, he says, you formerly walked. In other words, that's the way you walked before. According to the course of this world, he says. According to the prince of the power of air, Satan, he says. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. In other words, those who have not made that transition from light, from darkness into light. Next verse nails it. Here's why I say that you have no choice. Among them, you too all formally lived. In other words, before you came to Christ, this was your lifestyle, my lifestyle, our lifestyle. In the lusts of our flesh, we indulged in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now watch. And we're by nature. Folks, by nature means that is, that is your habit. That is what you do. You were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So we all have that. I want to, I, I feel obliged to say that to those of you who are investigating faith and wondering why I'm not doing what I'd like to do. None of us do, but you have no hope. We have a hope, believers in Christ. We have a hope. Some good news. The command in verse 11 says we are to abstain. Remember now, he's talking to beloved. He's talking to believers. Abstain, he tells us. We have the ability through the indwelling Holy Spirit that lives within us, to restrain ourselves, to abstain ourselves from old lustful sins, our flesh. Even in a culture like this that is dominated, for the most part, dominated by sin, immorality, moral depravity out there, Satan, the society in which you and I live is not an excuse for us to continue sinning not. We're to abstain from fleshly lusts. But you need to know this. Because the word abstain is in the present middle infinite tense, it means that as believers, you and I are going to have to continue struggling with sin and temptation throughout our lives until we go to be with the Lord. The battle with evil does not cease at salvation. So there is a battle going on. And, and rightfully so, if you're trying to straighten your life out and you wonder why you fall short once in a while or even a lot of the time, it's because you are, you're in a battle. 
So you ask again. And by the way, the moment you come to Christ, for the most of us, it intensifies. It gets even greater. So how do we defeat this old nature? Well, there's a, there's a great... I don't know if it's true or not, but it's, it's supposed to be a, some old gospel preachers did a story about two dogs that lived within them. One dog was a, a dog of uh, sin. The other one was a dog of righteousness. And they were constantly at battle with one another. And so the, the right question to ask is, which one wins? And the old preachers used to say, well, the one you feed. It becomes dominant. That's why in the book of Psalms it writes, Thy word I have treasured in my heart so that I will not sin against you. Feed your spirit. Feed your spirit. Peter, by using the phrase in verse 11, which wages war against the soul, he is telling you and me that it is a, it is a struggle that is waged for our innermost being, our minds, our souls, uh, all that is in within us. It's an intense struggle that every one of us go through. I, I want you to see this. Hero of heroes to me, besides my Lord, of course, is Paul. But now Peter's climbing up that scale. I, I love old Peter. But I want you to see this firsthand, so I'm going to wait for you to turn to Romans chapter 7. I think you know where Romans is. It's to the left. You're going to go past, uh, oh, you know, James and, and, and Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Once you get to 1st Corinthians, the next book is Romans. And look at Romans chapter 7. Now, I want you to know that Paul wrote this as a believer. Paul wrote this as a believer. And he wrestled with the very things that you and I wrestle with. I want you to be encouraged, if, if that's the right way of saying this, that you aren't the only one that goes through difficulties. And maybe I'm, I'm beating up on a dead horse here. Maybe you don't go through it. I do. I go through this wrestling match. Even Dr. McGee, who I study, and, and all the other pastors I study, but Dr. McGee writes a whole chapter on, on that he's, not the, he's never been the man that he wanted to be because of sin, his nature. He said he was never the father. He was never the husband. He was never the preacher. I get that. I thought I was the only one that liked to beat myself up, but I think that's the way it goes. Listen to Paul in Philippians, excuse me, Romans chapter 7, verse 14. He says, We know that the law is spiritual, but, he says, I am of flesh. I am sold into the bondage of sin. Then he says in verse 15, That which I am doing I do not understand. I'm not practicing what I'd like to do. I'm doing the very thing I hate. Verse 16, he says, but, if, but I do the very thing that I don't wish to do. I agree with the law. I'm confessing that the law is good. So no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells in me. For I know this. He says in verse 18, nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. The wishing is good. The wishing is present. But the doing of good is not. The very good that I wish to do, I do not do. He says in verse 9, I end up practicing the very evil that I do not wish. Look, he gives us the answer. Look at verse 24 of that same chapter, Romans 7. Wretched man, Paul writes, that I am. Who is going to set me free 
from the body of this death. He goes on to say, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on one hand, I myself with my mind, I'm serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. Now that's a, this is a really bad break. Chapter 8 is a very, uh, it's a bad break in Scripture. Chapter 7, verse 25, and chapter 8, verse 1 go together. So he says, on one hand, I, in verse 25 of chapter 7, I'm serving the law of God. On the other, with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. There is therefore, he says, now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, he says, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it, it was through the flesh, God that did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, key, in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How do we walk according to the Spirit? Only way, guys. Only way. Only way. You can walk as good as you'd like to walk, but if you do not know what God is asking of you in your life, then you're walking on a path that might not be God's way. Treasure His Word in your heart so that you may not, by the grace of God, sin against Him. That's, by, that's how you walk in the, in the Spirit. Now, I want you to know that Paul goes on to say it is a personal discipline. Now, this verse I love. Because it's in, you don't need to look at it. Go back to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. But let me just read to you what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He says, I discipline my body, and I make my body my slave. In other words, I don't do what I want to do anymore. I've disciplined myself in such a fashion that I do what God wants me to do. And the only way you and I will know how to do that is by understanding the Word of God. I love that particular verse. It's 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I discipline my body. I make it my slave. If you hear nothing else that Peter is saying to us in these verses, verses 11 through 16, please listen to this thought. The battle that you have against sin is one or it is lost on the inside. It starts within our minds. And James, James agrees. In James chapter 1, verse 14, he says, When you are tempted, but each one, he says, is tempted, when they are carried away and enticed by their own lust, in other words, by their own mind, they think of something, and they are tempted, and they are carried away by it. And when lust, he says, is conceived, James does, in James 1, verse 15, that's conceived in the mind. It gives birth to sin. In other words, we carry out our thoughts. And when sin is accomplished, then it brings forth death, the writer James says. So Paul, James, Peter, the writer in the, in the Psalms, they all agree Treasure the Word of God in your heart so that you would not sin against the Lord. So in verse 12, Peter says this, Keep your behavior excellent so that when people observe you, they may end up glorifying God. 
That's another purpose for you and me to take life, to live this time as, as, as going through Thanksgiving and Christmas, to keep our behavior above board. Basically, Peter is saying this, in order to effectively proclaim the excellencies of this God in whom you love, you need to transform your inner life. You need to allow your actions, your inner actions, your actions to match the Lord's desires. That the world might see yours and my walk as legitimate, as genuine. It's Bible, folks. It's understanding and knowing the Bible so that we can walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Therefore, verses 13 and 14, we're going to brush over them. We're to submit ourselves to the, for the Lord's sake. Note, submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That means be obedient, whether it's to a king as the one who is in authority or to governors who have been sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and to the praise of those who do what is right. Your and my, our obedient walk with Christ, therefore, verse 15 tells us, might silence the ignorance of foolish men. Again, that's our purpose as living as a believer. I hope you're catching what Peter is trying to say here. It's, it's magnificent, folks. It is brilliant. His concern, his purpose for you and me as believers is this. The life that you and I live is lived for our Savior. It's not all about us. We can't do what we want to do when we want to do it. No, no, we're to live for Him. We are His ambassadors, He's told us. And we are to try with every breath that we take to capture people from the very grasp of hell and lead them to our Lord in heaven. We are to proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called us out of darkness into light, which leads Peter, at least for this section that I've chosen, verse 16. It leads him with this final thought, for today at least. And it's as clear as could be. Therefore, he says, verse 16, Act as free men. You are more free than anyone on the face of this earth if you're a Christian. But don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. Rather, he says, use it as a bond slave of God. Serve Him. With every living moment that you have been given by God, Use it as an opportunity to serve Him. Move your precious freedom aside and become a bondservant of your Lord. That's Peter's message in a nutshell. Now, we're going to have people up here that want to pray with you. If there's any of you that need prayer, and I've been told that, that there's plenty of people that are coming up asking for prayer, please do not be shy. If you, you want someone to pray for somebody or if you want to come up and find out more about what is faith or, or anything that you might, come up and ask. These people up here in a moment will pray with you. We'd love to be a church that prays for one another. I want this to be a vital part of our church. And I think it's becoming. Secondly, and this, is, uh, this I don't like doing, but I, I've been asked to do it a lot. Uh, tomorrow night, men, men, we have a... A meeting here at 7 o'clock to 9. It's a, we study through a book. It's really nice. It's casual. We talk a lot about the things of the Lord and how can we become more a man of God. It, it, there's about 30, 40 of us that come, sometimes less, sometimes more. 
uh, please come if you can. Um, uh, be a part of it. Tomorrow, uh, one of uh, Kenny Hutchison, who was my dear friend up in Seattle, one of his buddies, the guy that worked on his staff is here. He was to church last night. He's going to come Monday. And I'm going to ask him a little bit about how did, what was Kenny's type of leadership and how did it fit. And we'll be able to kind of pick his brain a little bit. So, I'll, men, come if you can. Um, what else have I forgotten? I don't know. I've told you I love you already, haven't I? If I hadn't, I should have. And I want to show you my very beautiful poinsettia. Can you guys see it okay? Vanna White. I know. I love you very much. You know, I do love you guys. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And I hope this time for Christmas will be one of the best you've ever had. I do pray that for you. Love you guys so much. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Peter. It's just fun watching him lay these things out before us, Father, and, and to see how we're to live and how you've made us. And that you've given us so many blessings so that we might proclaim the wonders of who you are. You've taken us out of darkness. You've brought us into life. You're preparing a place for us in heaven. You call us aliens to this earth because this isn't our home, our citizenship. Paul reminds us is in a place that one day we will see called heaven itself. Can't even imagine what that's going to be like, Father. Now, while we are here on this earth, may we abstain from fleshly lusts and desires and let us walk by the Spirit. Let us discipline our bodies. Now, Father, thank you for this time together. In Jesus' precious, precious name, amen. I love you guys so much. Have a great day. Have a great day.